Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, Matt, oh, never mind. I was going to tell you a joke about paper, but it's terrible. <laughs> Man, these get worse. They do. They do. I'm I'm trying my best. I was you know, say, man, you, you have to step it up, dude. But I'll, I'll do better next time. I promise. Oh man, let's do this. All right, fine. everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales All right, ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us again tonight we're back at it how are you, Matt? I'm good. We're barreling into 2019. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. not slowing down. Nope. Hitting this crap hard and going at it. So <laughs> that's the, the motto for 2019. Hit that crap hard. Hit the crap hard. So but we're doing it. And we're you'll see later on the episode, we take a long trip this time. We, yeah. This is one of our longest trips. Longest trip. So our time... Uh, time zones have been all off and every seasons have been off just recording this it's that, weird does that mean we're like we're shellbacks now because we've theoretically crossed the international date line sure I, i'll take it i'll take it i haven't done Whatever. it i haven't done it officially but i've done it <laughs> researchally I, so. hey i looked at the international date line on google maps there so. you go there you go. I made it a point to cross it while looking at Google Maps. I drug the cursor across it so I could say I crossed the thing. Um, so it's guys, today. It's tomorrow. Right. It's today. Today, it's tomorrow. tomorrow. Today, tomorrow. Weird. Um, so I won't say this all the time, I promise, but do us a favor. And especially since it's the beginning of the year and everybody's rolling out these things that say, what are the podcasts people should listen to in 2019? Yada, yada, yada. Do us a favor and share the graveyard. Either share one of our episodes on social media, share a tweet about us, uh, share us on Facebook, something like that. Just spread the word of the graveyard. Let's grow this. We had incredible growth in 2018, and we love you guys for that. Couldn't thank y'all more. Let's see what we can do about making 2019 even bigger. That's right. It'll be great. Because, you know, Adam and I, we'll, we'll do anything to promote the show. Pretty much. We'll, we'll put Adam in the front yard in his underwear. You know, I, I'll stay inside. <laughs> yeah. I was on I-40 we, the other day with Graveyard Tales written on my butt waggling it around. So we got, that's great. We got 10 more listeners and lost three out of it. Picks, so. picks or it didn't happen. Yeah, right. So, but the absolute best way. To uh, to grow the show is word of mouth. So I mean, how many how many podcasts do you listen to now that you listen to because somebody told you they liked it? Exactly. So if you like graveyard tales, tell a buddy, bring a friend. Yeah, <laughs> to tell friend. a buddy, bring, bring a, a friend. friend. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah yeah. That that's really funny to us. I don't know if everybody else gets that. No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> They're local people. Will. Yeah, right. Um, but yes, you know, tell your friends, tell your family. Um, that's what helps us, you know, grow the show. It keeps us going. Um, keeps us putting out new episodes and right. That's and what we want to do. Matt and I were just talking literally probably twenty minutes ago about a new way to improve the quality of the show and do some cool stuff for you guys make it even more you know 
I don't want to say professional because we're far from professional, Matt. But there's there's very little professionalism, <laughs> yeah, right, going on in the graveyard. Not even my attire <laughs> is professional. So, but to to make the sound quality better for you guys, and just to make it an even better experience for y'all. So, share the show so we can keep doing that. Um, now another thing today, I was looking at the analytics for the show, and I noticed that only two percent of our listeners are in Australia. Um, so after this episode, let's see if we can grow our Australian <laughs> listenership a little bit. Yeah. You Aussies step it up. Go out there right. and throw flyers or something at people. Yeah. But also 11.8%, Matt, don't know where they're from. <laughs> it said 11.8% was unknown. So I saw that the other day. For those of you who don't know like, where you're from, I, I ask myself that all the time too. Where am I? I don't know where <laughs> I am. They're the people that are that are stuck in the upside down. Or oh, that's it. That's it. That makes sense. So another thing I found online, something that you guys might be interested in. Um, there is a haunted doll up for sale on eBay that I thought you guys might be interested <laughs> another in another purchasing. Right. Um, this one is titled Metaphysical Occult Demonic Haunted Doll Vessel Evil Artifact 1960s. So <laughs> what I guess a name. Yeah, I guess that's her name. It's up for fifteen ninety nine. Uh, no bids as of now, for some reason. When this show drops, there'll be about two, two and a half days left um, after you listen to this episode if you want to go grab you one. <laughs> but here's the description, and I thought this was great. Up for your consideration is a doll who does have slight wear of age, which I believe gives her character. Vintage Horseman Doll, 1964, 26 inches. She has been left in an abandoned house. Her grayish eyes give her a very dead look to her. You see, a series of strange occurrences and events started to unfold within my life. Even the family cat would act irate as well. Now, that's just a cat, but whatever. Um, This all started to happen around the time this doll, along with other demonic dolls, entered our home, leading me to believe this is a hexed haunted artifact. You sure it's just that one and not like along the, with other exactly along with other haunted dolls. So yeah, we got a shipment of haunted dolls out here. Right, exactly. How many do you have? Um, he says I like to call her Zombie Blondie. Are you a fan of the occult? Do you have a haunted collection? Do you dare to dabble in the unknown? I am a Christian mystic shaman, and not even I was able to contain the curse of Zombie Blondie. If you bid, happy bidding. And good luck. You're going to need it. So if you guys dare. Take a bite out of that. Go grab Zombie Blondie for you. <laughs> All right, Matt. So let's take a quick potty break and then let's get into the episode. Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. All right, so we're back at it, Matt. What are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight we are going to travel to Junie in New South Wales, Australia. We're going to talk about the Monte Cristo homestead. Not the sandwich. Not the sandwich, (laughs) which comes up a lot. It does. You search this. I was telling Matt, I looked up uh, satellite imagery of Monte Cristo, and I was about to type in Homestead, and it popped up Sandwich. <laughs> I really should have looked at the satellite, satellite imagery of a sandwich. Of a Monte Cristo sandwich. <laughs> Man, you can really see the seeds in that I raspberry mean, look at that. jelly. Look at that. <laughs> oh, man. But the Monte Cristo Homestead, not the sandwich. It, like I said, it sits in Junie, New South Wales, Australia. It has an interesting, if not tragic, history, which serves as a eerie backdrop to the strange occurrences in and around the home over the last 50 plus years. 
Right. This makes the Monte Cristo, deserving of the title, the most haunted home in Australia. Yep, it does. And just looking at the thing is creepy. I'm telling you. I mean. When I, you know, I, I, I saw a number of posts and my sister was in town and even she was asking me, hey, is, are y'all talking about, is this place in New Orleans? <laughs> and it does. It yeah. looks like somewhere that you would you would see in 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 New Orleans. Yeah, it's got that Victorian style to yep. it. And but it's not. It's not. It's in uh, Australia, New South Wales. And and when it was built, it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. It's not anymore. No. I mean, there's there's houses all around it now. <laughs> yeah. But in the 1800s, it was kind of stuck. Way out away from just about anything else. Yep, and it started to grow up around them. Um, so let's get into a little bit of the history before Matt takes over with the spooky stuff. Uh, we leave the spooky stuff to mm-hmm. Matt over there. <laughs> um, so like Matt said, this is considered the most haunted homestead in Australia, and it's in Juni, New South Wales. And it's a town just outside of Wagga Wagga and about 220 miles or 220 kilometers northwest of Canberra. Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga. If nothing else, I love the names uh, in Australia. I I love the town names. I want to be, I would love to be able to tell somebody when they ask, hey, where are you from? I'm from Wagga Wagga. Yeah. I would just love to be able to tell somebody I visited Australia for once. True. Because I really want to go. really badly um now if you want to visit they do do tours and stuff but it's at one homestead lane in junee new south wales go check them out now prior to the european occupation of that area um that the junee area was occupied by the wiradjuri aboriginal peoples and it's widely accepted that Junee is actually a Wiradjuri word meaning speak to me. Um, it was originally spelt J-E-W-N-E-E, where now it's J-U-N-E-E. But uh, this was a name that was given to that pastoral run that was established in that area in 1840s. So that's about the time Matt was talking about when there was nothing really out there. Um, this is, it was called the Juni pastoral run. Now I spoke with a listener named Odette who lives in Australia and she was able to help me out by looking into consent authority documents, um, that the council will need if they want to build on Aboriginal lands or anywhere near that could be impacted by it. Because by the law, they have to list sacred sites and ceremonial sites and everything. Now, she couldn't find anything that stated it was a ceremonial site for the Aboriginal people, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't. just means that records weren't kept that well that, that far back. So is, is Aboriginal land, the way it's treated, is it similar to... The way the U.S. treats Native American land? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, very much so. Um, We were here first. Yeah. You took this from us, so you you need to give us something. And that's That's pretty much the the way it is. Um, It's not, in my opinion, and probably a lot of others, it's not as good as it should be, just like with Native American land. (laughs) Right. You know, um, but the... Newer generations are are trying to do something, which, you know, that that's a good step. Yeah, but, that's right. Uh, it it like you said, it's basically like the way we here in the states um, treat Native American religious sites. Right. Um. So Junee is in the Riverina area, and you can tell by that name that there are a ton of rivers nearby. Um, and there used to be more, but due to damming and stuff like that, it's dropped down, but there's hundreds of rivers and creeks and stuff in that area. And there's a ton of limestone caves. Now we've discussed that whole moving water and limestone theory, uh, as it pertains to paranormal activity in other 
episodes, and this this area is just rife with it. It's moving water, limestone, limestone caves. So could it be that this is part of the reason that there is so much paranormal activity in the area? And we'll probably talk about that a little more when Matt gets into his segment. But. Yeah, and I, and I think as you as you listen to Adam go over the history of some of the events that occurred um, at the homestead, you're you're gonna get the idea that this is like a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you combine that, you know, violent death, you know, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff, along with this idea of a natural battery with the mm-hmm. limestone and the running water, it, it produces enough energy to to hold on, right? To uh, to some of some of that violence and death that occurred there. Sure, sure. And you know, it's not any different than any of the other uh you know, crazily haunted places we've talked about. There's reasons for that energy to be there, and then there's environmental causes to help amplify it and keep it there. Yeah, because it, it can't just be that some houses are haunted and others aren't. I mean, you know, there's so many houses in the world. Why aren't, why aren't they all haunted? Yeah. You know, if this is just an occurrence, you know, why didn't everybody have a, a few spirits wandering around in their house? Right. Not to say that they don't, but they don't know about it. Right. But some just really seem to have it all. Yeah. I mean, they've just, you know, they got one after another after another, and you've got experience after experience and disturbance after disturbance. And just like, what's so special about this place as opposed to these 10,000 other places around? Right. You know, why Why did it pick this one? Yep. Why you know? just this one house? And, and you know, I think this is a, a, a good theory, at least, on why some places seem to be so active. Yeah. As opposed to other places. Yep. And, you know, and, and, and the history combined, you know, really... Really makes it like an antenna. Sure, you know? sure. That that's a good way to think about it. Is all that stuff that's happening around there is an antenna to all of that? It's a lightning rod. Yeah. So you're sticking it up in a storm, and that's where it's striking. <laughs> you know, you never want to stick it up no, in a storm. <laughs> believe me, it's painful. It's very painful. All right, so let's get into a little bit of the history of the Monte Cristo here. It some parts of this you may go, why are you telling me? But it's too set up the demeanor of the family and the mindset of the family, because that has a lot to do with, in in Matt and I's experience, the attitudes and the demeanor of the people in their life really influences their spirits after death if they hang around. Mm -hmm. And you'll see when we get into some of this with the owner's why they may be the way they are now because of the way they were in life. Some people are just too mean to leave this earth. Exactly. Exactly. Too, but that makes me think of that country song. It's uh, too broke to live, too poor to die. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the original owner of the house was Christopher William Crawley. Now he acquired two pieces of land in Junee on conditional purchase. One of them, was of 400 acres, and another was 120 acres in January of 1876 under provisions of what was called the Robertson Act of 1861. Now, I know all of y'all know what the Robertson Land Act of 1861 was, but I'm going to tell y'all anyway. (laughs) Please do. Yeah, I, I mean... Refresh my memory. Right, I don't want you to think that I don't think you know, you know, that I just have to go through these motions, so... Just, uh, you know, uh, go with me here. Uh, The Crown Land Acts of 1861 in New South Wales were introduced by the New South Wales Premier John Robertson. And this was to, quote, reform land holdings in the New South Wales area and break the squatter's dominion of land tenure. And some of the wording in this makes me angry, but we're going to do it anyway. Stuff like squatters and all that. That kind of upsets me a little bit. Squatters? Squatters because of who they're talking about. Oh. 
you know, it, it the the wording makes me angry, yeah, but I'm gonna well, I'm gonna keep going. I, I know it it does. You just you, you got to take it with a grain of salt because of the time that it was written. Yeah, that doesn't excuse. No, it, it does not but, excuse it. But it explains it if you just think of the way people acted back then. Mm-hmm. Um, now the act allowed free selection of crown land and made redundant the limits of location which limited sale of land to the 19 counties which had applied. Now, under the reforms, unsurveyed land in an area which had been declared an agricultural reserve is designated unsettled areas and could be selected and bought in 40 to 320 acre lots of this crown land. Now, Wherever it was situated, it was about a dollar per acre, or I'm sorry, one pound per acre on a deposit of five shillings per acre. Now, the balance was to be paid out within three years, and you got an interest-free loan for this. So basically, you were getting a freaking steal for this land, and it's because they were booting out aboriginal people and just like here in the States, they would boot out the, the people that lived there and say, hey, this is our land now. And that's how they got this land. So that's notch number one in the belt of why this area may be haunted or whatever. That's bad juju, guys. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not good. Yeah, don't, whether, don't don't go booting people off of their land right. when they were there first. Right. Whether or not You're that was asking a, for trouble. Yeah. Whether or not that was a Rogery ceremonial area, that's some bad juju. That was their land. You you anyway, we'll get off that soapbox. But <laughs> yeah, we, we we need to leave this tangent yep. quickly. Leave it. it and move we'll, on. we'll be talking about this the rest of the night. Yeah, right. So after years of struggle and farming, and a lot of times of the provisions being scarce while living on or living in this like primitive slab hut that he built, his luck ended up changing when the Great Southern Railway line opened in 1878. Now, it was almost like he was tipped off the year before, but because he acquired a license and built the railway hotel opposite where the soon-to-be bustling railway station would be. So that's either luck or he was tipped off that a line was coming through. So he built the railway hotel. Now, at that time, the village consisted of Mr. Crawley's home, the adjoining railway store, who was run by a man named George Dobbins, and a few scattered slab houses and bark huts. So not a mucho there, mm-hmm. like Matt said. Pretty, pretty small town. Um. Now, the township benefited tremendously from the influx of travelers and the trade and the fueling in this region due to that railway coming through and the the depot being there and the hotel. So they saw explosive growth during that time. Now, Crawley's wealth increased dramatically during this time. He acquired almost the entire area of present-day Junee at his peak. Mr. Crawley soon became a force to be reckoned with, in quotes. More than just a high member of society, he became a town founder, and he was held in high regard by all segments of the community. Now, he was a devout Roman Catholic, and he donated a parcel of land to the church and helped finance the construction of St. Joseph's Church and other important like civic projects. And this was at a time when a lot of government funding wasn't available, so he was funding all of these things. Now, he took his wealth and his newfound social status, so he needed some kind of symbol of this status and power. So the Monte Cristo, which literally means Mount of Christ, came into being. So prior to the construction of this new house, the Monte Cristo, uh, in 1884 and 1885, the Crawleys lived in a small brick cottage, which is now called the Original Homestead, and sits right there close to it. It was built in 1876, and it became the kitchen 
and servants' quarters. And that was kind of a trend because their original on-site home, which was that slab hut, became that when they moved to the bigger house. So every time they step up, their servants get that slightly smaller home. Now, the slab hut uh, was knocked down and stables were put in to house Mr. Crawley's prize racehorses. And this coincided with the construction of a dairy and a wood ballroom, which was built that stood directly behind the old homestead. And it was connected to this carbide gas supply. So it allowed the whole house to be lit up with gas lighting. So pretty opulent at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, to have uh, your whole house lighted by gas. That was, he had some money. Now the Monte Cristo was seen as the grandest home of the region and what they call landed gentry were, they were people that had a lot of land there and, and fancy people and everything. So they fancy people, fancy people. They saw this <laughs> as, uh, uh, them silver spoons, you know, they ate with their silver spoon. Um, they they saw this as like an ultimate status symbol. Um, and like a castle in Europe, it was the center of all the, the local power. Despite all that, it was still a farming property. And Mr. Crawley's wealth was from his agricultural business. And apparently he wasn't above getting his hands dirty and going out there and working as well. So a little more respect for the guy. Now, no price was spared in the construction of the homestead. It was built of sandstock bricks, fired on site, and laid on a dry stone foundation. And in over a century, not a single crack has shown up in that foundation. I got Hmm. cracks in my foundation, and this is like a 30-year-old house. (laughs) So maybe I need to move into one of these sand stock they just homes. don't build them like they used to that's right i tell you what so <laughs> downstairs the walls are 18 inches thick and the upstairs 18 inches 18 thick. inch thick walls and upstairs they're nine inches and they're both made of solid brick the ceilings are 12 foot high and upstairs is constructed of cypress pine that they milled locally and the downstairs is kind of a plaster thing. So it's like wood upstairs and a plaster downstairs. So I would live upstairs. I like that look better. <laughs> Than the adobe look? Yeah. Um, so the homestead was known as a social center and a place where balls were held. Don't you chuckle. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Local upper class would pass their time playing tennis and golf on the region's first course. In between a lot of these activities, the Crawleys raised seven children. All seven. Of seven children. Whew. Feel sorry for Mrs. Crawley. I'm telling you. So all of them went on to live, quote, happy and productive lives. And I've got a list of their names. Not really that important. We're going to skip on. Yeah, might as well. So I don't need to bore you with their nicknames and all that stuff. (laughs) Better to bore you with details of the house. Exactly. (laughs) Their names don't matter. House details do. Um, So as a result of their new wealth, the children were sent away to be educated. So that was kind of the mindset of them. They were opulent, rich people. So we're going to send our kids away to be, what do they call that? Boarding? Yeah. Something like that. Um, So they were all in fancy schools where they they learned music and painting and all the fine arts and all that crap. Now, Mrs. Crawley is remembered as being very Queen Victoria-like. She usually wore like a black lace dress with a stand-up beaded collar and a lace cap. She apparently ruled the house with an iron rod, and her husband... With an iron rod? With an iron rod. She'd beat the crap out of people, is what they're saying. (laughs) 
It's like, isn't it normally an iron fist? No, she would take that rod and beat the crap out of people with it. Don't you, don't you dare cross Miss Crawley. <laughs> Mrs. Crawley. So. God, imagine you can beat with an iron rod. Yeah, I can't. I got, I got beat with a belt. That was Wait, good enough. You know, that's, you know, iron fist. That's kind of uh, metaphorical. Yeah. <laughs> iron rod is. You know, literal. <laughs> it's very damaging. Yep, damaging. Very literal. Very. Um, <laughs> it alludes to the her type of character. Yeah, yeah. She was not nice. No. Um, outwardly, to the public, she was. But well, not to her family. Her husband, Mister Crawley, appeared to be that quintessential Victorian man. And together they were this, you know, nice couple and led a, a nice home life and all that. But so they were respected. Yes, in this, very in much this area. So. But those perceptions were a little misleading. Staff would later recount stories of harsh mistreatment of their employees, beatings, you know, not being fed, bad, bad treatment. Um and this spawned many ominous legends that still persist today. Behind closed doors, there is a suggestion that Mr. Crawley and his wife were not even really that good as citizens, um, even though they pretended to be. Mr. Crawley is suspected of impregnating two of his maids, one of whom went on to commit suicide, while the other's illegitimate child was treated like an animal in the home. Now, William Christopher Raleigh died at Monte Cristo on the December 14, 1910, at the age of 69 from heart failure, and that was secondary to blood poisoning he got that was caused by a carbuncle. Now, do you know what a carbuncle is? I, I, I do know what a carbuncle is. Well, you do. You're in medicine. I'm also from Tennessee. That's true. <laughs> um, but it's basically a boil infected with staphylococcus. And this was on his neck, and it became infected from rubbing against his Mr. Fancy starched collar. <laughs> so his collar killed him. Yeah. That's why I don't wear starched collar. That's why I don't wear shirts with collars. They're T-shirts. <laughs> I'm not going to get a carbuncle. So it's believed that Mrs. Crawley only left the house on two occasions in the remaining 23 years of her life. She turned an upstairs storage room into a chapel and immersed herself in the Bible. Mrs. Crawley died at the Monte Cristo house on August 12th of 1933, and she was 92. She died of heart failure. Now, the homestead's glory days at that point were over, but the Monte Cristo would remain in the Crawley family up until 1948 when the last member of the family vacated, after which no one lived in that house again until it was acquired by Olive and Reg Ryan more than a decade later in 1963, and they're the current owners of the house. Um, by this time, though, the furnishings had been auctioned off and house was faded. Vandalism had, you know, taken place at the home. It was neglected uh, by for generations just by people who didn't care about the opulence of its past. But they have restored the home. The Ryans have restored the home, and it it looks creepy as ever, but it's nicer now. <laughs> um, but they hold an annual ball there, don't you snicker, um, and it's the longest-running private period costume ball of its type in the Southern Hemisphere. It started in 1973 by Reg and Olive, and it was supposed to only be a one-time event to raise money for charity. But it's now turned into an annual thing after guests requested that their names be left on for tickets the next year. So everybody loved it so much. And this last year, in 2018, they did a haunted ball theme. So it was, I guess, taking advantage of the haunted nature of the house. They did a haunted ball. Yeah. It seems like they would have done that a long time ago. You would think it seems so. Seems like a no-brainer. Maybe, maybe they've done them several times throughout. This year was just... The this latest one, the yeah. The last one. So they do ghost tours there. And if you want to get on the ghost tour, um, 
just go on their website and sign up. But the tour begins, and this I got this from their website. So it says, the tour begins with a home-cooked meal, followed by a two-and-a-half-hour tour throughout the main homestead, servants' quarters, stables, and ballroom. As you tour the homestead by candlelight, you can decide for yourself if the Crawley family still walks the hallways of this magnificent mansion. Hear stories of the past and present while experiencing the energy of the house and its spirits. Then you get to finish off the night with delicious dessert, tea, and coffee. And finally, it's bedtime for those who dare. So you can spend the night in the home as well. Yes. Yes, you can. All right. You might not want to. You may not want to. Now, before we hand it over to Matt, let's talk real quick about some of the violence that's happened over the years so we can kind of ease ourselves into the creepy here. So we touched on a maid committing suicide earlier. A maid jumped from an upstairs window, dying on impact on the stairs out front. It was because she was pregnant with Mr. Crawley's baby. There's another theory that Mrs. Crawley pushed her off the balcony herself, but there is still a stain on the front stairs that's due to bleach that they use to get the blood stain out. Yeah. So it's not a blood stain. No. It's, it's a bleach stain. It's a bleach stain. But it's there because yeah. of blood. Because of blood. I'm like, if if they left a blood stain on those steps, man, they, they're really trying to sell it. Yeah, that's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, we're going to leave this here. Yeah. Y'all look at it and just step really? over it. Um. <laughs> So there was a stable boy at some point that burned to death as he slept out in the stables. There was a baby girl that was thrown down the stairs, and the maid whose baby it was said till her death that an unseen force shoved the baby out of her arms. And Matt and I were talking, and we both saw some other accounts of that, but nothing super verified, but there was one that, uh, Matt saw that was it was supposedly one of the Crawley children. Yeah, Ethel Crawley that fell to her death there. So, but only one source named her as being the child. But right. Ethel Crawley did. There is record that Ethel Crawley died in 1917. It, it's consistent with the time. So maybe, maybe not. But we figured we'd share that information with you. Right. And another one was that a visitor to the home. Their daughter was walking up the stairs and fell down the stairs to her death. So around that one, there are several options for you that you can pick from. Um, There was also a caretaker who was murdered in the 60s by a local boy who watched a certain movie a little too often, apparently, Um, which Matt will dive into a little bit more here in a little bit. And also there was a mentally disabled man named Harold Steele who was tied up for 30 years in the stable by his mom, who was a maid, because he had been brain damaged in a wood-cutting accident when he was a young boy. So instead of taking care of him, she chained him up in the in the stables. So, yeah. good different, people. Different times, right. but and unusually cruel things that went on in this house. Right. So Matt, tell us about some of this haunting stuff. Okay. So the majority of the accounts of, of the hauntings occur after the Rhines bought the house and moved in. And a lot of the hauntings have been associated with a lot of the violent events that Adam just, just talked about. So when the Ryans bought the home in 1963, it didn't take very long for strange stuff to start happening. Now, shortly after moving in, um, and according to Miss Ryan, three days after they moved in, they had gone into town to buy supplies. Now, it had gotten dark by the time they returned home, and since the house didn't have electricity, they fully expected to drive up to a darkened house. Now, however, the Ryans noticed something very strange. Light was streaming out of every window in the house. In an interview on Australian television, 
Mr. Ryan stated that the house not only never had electricity, they had only one kerosene lamp, and it was not lit. By the time the Ryans reached the house, the lights were off. Now, the Ryans' son would later experience the same thing in 1990, while the rest of the family were out at a party. Hmm. And so the Ryan's son, as I mentioned, Lawrence, he grew up in the home. Now, he states he always felt that there was something off about the house. He says he felt like as if he was being watched. Now, Lawrence's wife, Sophia, says she feels the presence, too. And after living in the house for several years, claims that she has found a deeper, more personal connection. Sophia says she has had a past life there. Hmm. serving as one of the maids for the Crawley family. Uh, now, you know, maids didn't do so well in the right. Crawley house. Did, they you know, didn't seem to, no. I mean, they they were not treated with any kind of respect. No. <laughs> so um, so it, it's interesting that she has that feeling that, you know, in a past life, she was one of the maids. Right. So. You know, I, I, when I was reading this, I thought, you know, may, maybe this is just her being sensitive to the energy and yeah. and feel and because psychics and mediums will begin to feel events, mm-hmm. you know, things that happen, and they, you know, and, and some of them will even get emotional because they can feel like it's happening all over again yep. with them right there. So maybe maybe that's kind of what she feels, and she's kind of taking that as a I don't know, you know. But I thought it was interesting at the least. Oh, very much. Now Mrs. Ryan admits that she's felt this presence too. Now she says that she has felt a hand on her shoulder. She's heard her name called when there was no one there, and has gone to investigate the sound of footsteps on the balcony, only to find it empty. Now, the balcony is interesting because visitors that go and walk out on the balcony will experience uh, a pretty significant sense of unease or even dizziness. Right. And so, you know, the the balcony is considered to be one of those kind of spots. That, and, and that's that balcony with the maid. That's right. You know, the same balcony. So the Ryan's pets, they didn't like the house either. So... When they first moved in, they had a dog and a cat that ran out of the house, never to be seen again, right after they were brought inside. It was three years before any pet would stay, although the newer pets wouldn't enter the house and preferred to stay outside. <laughs> now, look, animals, they they can sense stuff going on. Yep. And they're not dumb. They're, they're like, look, y'all are... You humans are crazy. You can live in there all you want. Yeah, I'm not hanging there's in there. There's something happening in there. <laughs> right. Caged chickens were found strangled in their secured pens, and the family parrot was also found choked to death in its cage. Oh, why well, you got to get the parrot, you too? Choke a parrot. Can you imagine a parrot? Leave me alone. Yeah. Get off me. You come downstairs to your parrot <laughs> screaming at nothing. All right, there's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Now, other pets died under strains in, you know, unexplained ways, too. And these attacks have been attributed to the ghost of Harold Steele, who, as Adam mentioned, was the mentally challenged son of a housekeeper and was kept chained outside of her living quarters. Now, if that doesn't sound bad enough, I I found a, a picture. I found a photo, a current one of that chain. Uh, yes, yes. Now, when you first look at it, you're like, and you know the story, you're like, oh, that's creepy. Because mm-hmm. there's this chain coming out of the wall. But then you look closer, and where that chain mm-hmm. was embedded in the wall, it's like, hey, I'm I'm from the South. It's wallered out. Oh, yeah. If you don't know what that means. Yeah. It's where you something rubs against something else for a really long time and, and it, grinds it down. It's done been wallered so, a lot. Yeah. So oh. so there is like there is a, a essentially a divot 
around where that chain was. Divot where this, is being gracious. That's yes, like six I mean, inches. It, yeah, it's it's a hole. Um, we'll we'll post this photo. Um, but I mean, you know, the idea that there was actually a human being chained to this wall, and he moved around and dragged that chain across that spot enough uh, to do that. Yeah. Yes. For years, the, the estimates are for anywhere from 30 to 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, that he was chained up there. Can you imagine? And they didn't, they didn't find him until, or, or at least nobody did anything about it until after the housekeeper's death. Mm-hmm. And they found him and then they found her, her body and got him out of there and he was institutionalized, but died just a few years later. Right. Right. You know? Um, now the Ryan's children, as we mentioned before, um, they, they had experiences as well. And the children would complain about a man looking into their bedroom window, which was located on the second floor. And they said he was dressed in farmer's clothes, but there wasn't any balcony or any landing or anything for him to be standing on outside of their window. That's weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, visitors to the house will experience unseen forces stopping them from moving about in the house. A bearded man in a brown suit will follow other visitors around, some claiming that it's the ghost of the original owner, William, or is it, is it William Christopher or Christopher William? William Christopher. It's Mr. Crawley. Yep. So from now on, it's Mr. Crawley. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to tackle all that mess. Um, now mediums and psychics who visit the house believe they can sense the death of an infant around the stairwell. Now, as Adam mentioned this story, you know, again, as the story goes, this infant died from either falling down the stairs, being thrown down the stairs or by a spirit or a force yanking this child from, you know, someone's hand. Mm -hmm. And it went down the stairs. Either way, there was Either a way, death on the stairs. It's tragic. And it's a, a child death, which seems to leave a much bigger imprint. So, as it's claimed, a maid carrying an infant had the child wrenched from her hands by an unseen force. The child fell and was killed. And as we mentioned before, it's reported that this child was Ethel Crawley, whose death is recorded in 1917. Now, many visitors will claim to experience a feeling of unsteadiness, dizziness, or even nausea when on the staircase, even before hearing the story of the child's death. Some will feel an invisible force restraining or pushing them. Young children in this area will become agitated and upset, while others will feel the tiny, icy hand of a child slip silently into theirs. Nope. Yeah, I had to read that last one verbatim because I was just like, well, I can't write that any better. (laughs) I'm out. We're done. So one of the one of the most powerful presences at the Monte Cristo is the ghost of Mrs. Crawley. Now, Mrs. Crawley. And her iron rod. And her iron rod. So be careful. (laughs) She's coming at your knees. She wasn't very tall. No. Um. But she she essentially became a hermit after the death of her husband, as Adam said. You know, she didn't get out of the house much. Um, and the chapel that Adam brought up is one of the places where you can commonly see the image of a woman dressed in black carrying a silver cross. Um, and this is supposed to be the ghost of Mrs. Crawley. Now, it is said because of her demeanor in life, her demeanor after death is not a whole lot better. Right. So, before you even encounter Mrs. Crawley's ghost, uh, you're supposed to show respect and reverence to her house, and if you upset her, she will let you know about it. Coming at them knees. I'm telling you. She's one of them (laughs) knee knockers, I'm telling you. Now, some visitors report that they have felt themselves being pushed out of rooms, um, the out of the rooms where she supposedly haunts. 
Now, others have also heard the sounds of, of crying or weeping. Mm-hmm. Um, but psychics that, uh, and many have, but psychics that visit the Monte Cristo will talk about that feeling of she is becoming very impatient right. with us. And that very soon we will wear out our welcome. Right. You know, again, this is her house. And and anyone that comes there is a guest. And she doesn't want you to stay very long. And for people that are sensitive to this, they'll they'll feel that. Right. They'll feel that urge of something's telling us we gotta leave. Mm. So there is a there is a piano that can be heard in an upstairs room. But there's not been a piano in the house for years. Hmm. So um, after Mr. Crawley's death, um, like Adam said, she was only believed to have left the house on two different occasions. But the room with the piano um, is the chapel. And again, her ghost is seen there very frequently. And it could be they were all musically inclined, so that could be why could be. you you still hear the piano the music. music. Yeah. Now, as you go out of the house, Adam mentioned that Mister Crawley had stables to house his racehorses. Mm-hmm. Now, the stables uh, have been considered the most active uh, of any other place in, on the property. Now, the stables are where. Morris, the stable boy that Adam mentioned that died in the fire, uh, that's where he lived. Now, the story about Morris's death is that he slept on a straw mattress and someone went into the stable while he was sleeping and set the mattress on fire. So it wasn't that he died in a fire. He was murdered in the stables. By fire. By fire. Yeah. So it is said that you can hear Morris's screams in and around the stables. Wow. Yeah. That'd be creepy. Yeah. Stables can be kind of creepy anyway. Yeah, right. I don't know why, but they are. I don't know, but like you said, stables at night. You go in there. (laughs) Yeah, it's just something about it. It's it's weird to me. I don't know. I I don't really go into stables at night. but Yeah, well, I've been in a few... uh, when you go horseback riding and stuff, you're bringing them back at night and you're having to put them up. Good grief. That is creepy. <laughs> it's just like you and the horses in there. Mm-hmm. They make some weird noises if you're not used to that. That's and right. I wasn't really used to that. It was creepy. <laughs> now, another spirit that said to haunt the Monte Cristo is that of the pregnant maid. Now, the pregnant maid is believed to be seen right around the steps where she supposedly fell to her death. And all along the front of the house, wearing a white dress. Um, And she sometimes can be seen on the balcony. So visitors have reported seeing a woman in a white dress from a distance standing on the balcony, just looking out. So almost like a replay of the event, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, And as Adam mentioned, the, the, the the blood stains on the steps, the bleach stains to clean up the blood stains, still visible to this day. Now, Adam mentioned the story of uh, a murder that happened at the house in the 1960s. So this was the case of one Jack Simpson. Now, Jack Simpson was a caretaker for the house. Now, after the last member of the Crawley family moved out in the 40s, the house just kind of was left to just ruin Mm-hmm. And it did. And so it wasn't in good shape, but Jack was there to kind of make sure that, you know, things were still being taken care of and there wasn't anybody coming into the house that wasn't supposed to be there. Now, in 1961, Jack was murdered at the house. And for this small town, that was. That's something that just didn't happen. Sure. So on the evening, in, on one evening in 1961, Jack opened the door to an unexpected visitor. 
and he was shot at point blank range and he died immediately. The murderer was a local kid who had watched the movie Psycho three times before carrying out the killing. Now, before leaving the house, the murderer wrote, Die, Jack, ha, ha, on one of the shed's doors. The words can clearly be read today. Wow. And Jack's spirit still haunts the grounds of the Monte Cristo. Well, sure. Yeah. So it's not all just, you know, turn of the century. You know, this was in the 60s this happened. Yeah. You know, but again, and this happened right before, you know, the Ryans bought the house and moved in. Right. So um, it, it's just, this is pr- a pretty amazing place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's got a very sordid history, to say the least. And the fact that since the since the building, since the, the house was built, it's only been owned by two families. Right. I mean, I don't know that we've researched any other place that's an actual home that has that kind of distinction yeah. to where almost 200 years, 100 and what, 40 years? I can't do I can't do math anymore. <laughs> Help me out. Get a calculator out. Yeah. So anyway, 150 to 200 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> There's only been two families that owned it. You know, a lot of these haunted places we we hear about, families come and go. You know, the disturbances become too much, and then you're just like, we got to get out of here. You know, right. maybe we're scared, maybe we're not scared, but. We're tired of this. You know, there's got to be a better way. And they leave. And then another family moves in and they see blood in the toilet and they hear a voice say, get out. And they leave. You know, it hadn't happened. Right. You know, the Ryans are still there and they embrace it. You know, they bring people in. They're having Halloween haunted balls and all this other kind of stuff. You know, I think it's great. You know, I mean, you know, of course, I I grew up this way. Right. well, so I mean, I, mean I, I think it's really cool, um, and I think it's it's such a unique place. It's got it's got such an interesting and unique history. Um, it's just as Adam said, the the energy around there. Um, it's just it's meant to to keep something from right. from crossing over or to replay some of these tragic events that have happened in and around the house, um, and just the look. Like I said at the beginning of the show, so many people looked at this and thought it was a location in in New Orleans just because it's kind of out of the ordinary. You know, they built a big Victorian house kind of out in the middle of nowhere at the time. So, and, you know, we would we would love to go visit ourselves, but maybe a while before we can get to uh, Australia. But if any of you guys who live out there have been by it know where it is or whatever, hit us up because, you know, like we always say, we want to know. We want to know your personal experience. If you've had one out there, we want to see your personal pictures if you have any out there. Yep, absolutely. So um, that's all I've got about the Monte Cristo other than now I'm hungry talking yeah, about Monte Cristo. I was going to say, I'm going to have to go get a sandwich now. <laughs> Need some raspberry preserves <laughs> in my life. Um. But like we say every week, please go rate and review us on iTunes. As we said at the beginning, word of mouth um, is the best way to get people into the graveyard. The second best way, rate and review us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. It brings us up the list. It makes us easier to find. Go check out our website, please. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to buy Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself, and you can become a patron. Thank you so much for everyone who has donated to the show. It, it really helps and it keeps us going. Um, yeah, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram. Just go search Graveyard Tales. Adam is the tweeter between the two of us. So if you <laughs> hey, get a tweet. You watch your, oh, you didn't mean it. <laughs> So if you get a tweet, it's going to come from Adam, not me. I'm, I'm not in the Twitterverse. I tried. 
but I just, I can't. So, (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, thank you guys so much for listening and supporting the show. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.